This is the Lightning Round Podcast with your hosts, Garrett Sisti and Jamie Hoyle. Go Chargers, go! Thanks for joining us here on the Lightning Round Podcast for Jamie, who is at lightning underscore round on Twitter. I am at Garrett Sisti, and the Chargers find yet another way to lose a ball game, and we'll talk about it. But first, let's give a big thank you to our boy Sam. So we got a very generous donation from Sam Gelber. So thank you, Sam. And Sam sent us a little note. He says, this is not for the alcohol this week, but for next week. Specifically, when on the final drive, Rivers throws a, par- a prayer resulting in an interception and fans complain that mild contact didn't result in DPI. I, of course, shall be the loudest of the- these voices and looking forward to it eagerly, but thought I should compensate you guys now. Very nice uh, to look in the future and predict how the Chargers will lose another we, game. We, but and but I would add to that that um, you know on Twitter everybody will defend Rivers and uh, blame the offensive line. Yep. And uh, we won't talk about Rivers throwing that interception late. They'll blame the play call and say he's got the worst offensive line in the league, and it's not his fault he doesn't believe in the line because they never protect him. And what choice did he have but to throw it to the defense because there was no other option? Does that sound familiar? <laughs> Yeah, no, exactly. That's exactly what's going to happen. <laughs> uh, well, thank you, Sam. We appreciate it. Um, so coming off the bye week, the Chargers made some minor tweaks. We're going to talk about that. We'll talk about what happened during this game. And um, to the lineup, they made some changes. Uh, one of them, of course, we can talk about, just jump in here, uh, was on special teams. So the big changeup was after the bye week, Troy Main Pope took over the returning duties, returning punts in place of Des King, who had his fumbling issues last game. And, of course, Pope then fumbles in his starting duty. Yeah, that was a, a perfect adjustment to make. Um, <laughs> <laughs> hindsight, be, hindsight being what it is. Um, of course, we were all getting a little annoyed with the way Desmond King was handling punt returns, you know, running with his back to the field, trying to catch the ball as he's running towards the end zone, fumbling balls, muffing balls. He was not making good decisions, uh, clearly. And it was something that was making most of us very uncomfortable. And it was something that needed to be addressed, but maybe we could have addressed it with a talk uh, during practice or in a one-on-one with Lynn and King instead of benching the guy who is still your best punt returner and putting uh-huh. your one, two, three, four string running back on the on the field to return punts. I'm just saying, you know, that seems like maybe a little bit of an overreaction. Okay, a lot of an overreaction. Yeah. Um, trying to mix things up, trying to make a play. I get it, but your four string running back instead of your best return man, have a talk with him, reinforce what you want him to do. Um, take some of his freedom away on the field if you have to, but don't take him off the field. I mean, it was just a gross overreaction to, for a guy who had not yet cost them a game, even though it seemed like he might at some point do that. Um, it, I think it was a something you, you could correct without pulling him off the field. Yeah. Um, it also felt misguided. And misplaced because out of all the changes you can make after the bye week, you're going on special teams and taking Dez out. I mean, I hated that they did that. I think the Chargers just have not had an electric returner in a while, and we've talked about it for years. And Dez King was always providing that spark. And I know, you know, he was, uh, like you were talking about, he muffed a couple punts. Yeah, we got to kind of overlook that. He made some bad choices running backwards, doing a lot of dancing, but. 
I mean, it just seems like they were focused on the wrong thing. Des King is the best with what they have. You've got to deploy him as a returner because this team has nothing going on either side of the ball. If you can get some spark on special teams, that's great. Uh, turning to Troy Main Pope after the bye week, the focus is completely wrong. There's so many changes you can make on offense and defense when you want to switch up with an extra week to work with. Switching up your punt returner made no sense, and it cost them. Yeah, I mean, you know, we've been preaching holding people accountable, and I get that. And while I, on the one hand, applaud them for trying to hold somebody accountable, he had not yet done anything that really warranted holding him accountable to that degree. Like I said, you want to pull him aside and talk to him? Great. You want to take him off the field for a couple of punt returns during a specific game? Great. You know, you want to reinforce what you want him to do on the field and take some of the freedoms away? Fantastic. But don't pull him off the field entirely for a game when you're, you know, your back is against the wall and you feel like your only chance to make the playoffs and make some noise this season is to run the table and you're pulling your best return man off the field. It was the wrong guy to hold accountable for sure. You know, there are a lot of different ways they could have gone to hold people accountable. And we'll talk about some of that here moving forward, I'm sure. But Des was the wrong choice. It was an overreaction. Um, and it was a guy who it just seemed like, like you said, it was out of place. It wasn't needed. wasn't necessary. One move that uh, is on the other side of this, and that was actually pretty nice, is we saw Drew Tranquil getting a lot more uh, starting time here, and Kaiser White getting a little bit more playing time, uh, scaling back Uchenna Nwosu snaps at Sam this week. Yeah, so uh, Tranquil started at middle linebacker on Sunday and looked really good. He finished second on the team in tackles, had three um, tackles for loss, had a couple real nice plays where he, he read screens early in the play and made those tackles behind the line of scrimmage to break up screen plays. He was all over the field and was very active in the run game, looked very, very good. And White played a lot. A uh, little surprising, uh, at least for me, I know they've done it throughout the season, little surprising that White is playing Sam at his size. You'd think maybe he'd be playing Will. We all kind of assumed they had drafted him to play the Will position uh, a couple years ago, and now you know he's. it seems like he's surpassed their second-round Sam um, Ochenna Nwosu, um on the depth chart for whatever reason, and and Nwosu not really getting the playing time in pass rush situations. Uh, aside from starting at Sam, so some interesting decisions. But I thought you know Tranquil looked really good. Like I said, made some plays, very active in the running game, and Kaiser had a couple of really nice flashes, particularly in in pass defense. Uh, almost had a pick on an early drive. Uh, early in the first quarter and then broke up a throw into the end zone to save a touchdown later on, I think in the same drive. So looked very, very good. He only had three tackles, but he played 27 snaps. And that was, I believe it was the fourth most snaps he's played from a defensive standpoint all season. So nice to see him starting to get some more snaps. Although would like to see Nwosu getting on the field somewhere at some point, even if it's not Sam. Yeah, yeah, and like we talked about, when he took over for Leo, when Melvin Ingram was out, he he was great. So to to not get him in more snaps as a pass rusher is a little concerning. But I think the move to have Tranquil as a starter and uh, moving Kaiser White with some more playing time was a good move. You talked about that pass breakup on White, uh, on the uh, almost interception from White, the pass breakup on Noah Fant in the end zone. Uh, there were a lot of uh, very good uh, plays from White, Tranquil, second on the team in tackles. You know, this season is a loss now. And playing Thomas Davis at this rate is beyond pointless. So um, I, I don't know why you'd keep playing Davis when he's not your linebacker for the foreseeable future. So he's been a big net negative as it is. 
But getting more time for White and Tranquil is very important from going forward uh, here on out. And uh, I thought White and Tranquil did a beautiful job taking over the middle field. Uh, you talked about in pass defense. I counted because uh, I was watching Tranquil and White. Uh, the, both of them combined were targeted seven times. There was two catches, and they gave up a total of seven yards. So very good, uh, not only covering backs out of the backfield, but also in the middle of the field. Seven yards on uh, seven targets is, is very good. So, you know, we know what Thomas Davis has done all year. He gave up a, a pretty important third down pass late in that game. Um, you know, I, it's just it's time to start evaluating for the future in real game action. Get uh, Kaiser White more time. Get Drew Tranquil more time. Uh, Tranquil has earned his time, even though he had that boneheaded special teams player who ran into the, pun- into the punter. But it's now time to give Kaiser White his because he flashed a lot on Sunday. Yeah, I totally agree. I think, you know, you'd think they'd want their second round pick of Jenna Nawosu on the field as much as possible, whether it's at Leo or as a situational rusher or at Sam. I think, you know, they're obviously concerned about his ability to cover or he'd be on the field more at the Sam position. And they like the fact that Kaiser can turn and run with a tight end like Noah Fant, which is no easy task. So um, definitely getting those two on the field makes them more athletic, uh, helps them cover against the pass. Both of them are capable of coming downhill and making tackles in the running game. Um, it just gives you options. It makes you faster. It makes you more athletic. It makes you more explosive in the middle of the field. allows you to cover sideline to sideline. allows you to cover deep, or at least in the you know deep intermediate with your linebackers. It, it just opens up what they're able to do on the field with the middle of that defense. And you know I agree with you. It doesn't seem like... Davis is, or at least should be, part of the future. Uh, I know he signed a two-year deal. Um, hopefully, this one-year experiment is over, and they find a way to get Kaiser on the field as a as a uh, will uh, next year, um, and maybe get maybe get uh, Nuoso on the field as a Sam next year. But definitely time to start evaluating, especially at that linebacker position where they've had so many issues over the last three or four years. To be able to get those young guys on the field, see how they hold up in coverage, see how they hold up against the run, maybe even see if you can get something out of them as blitzers. Um, it's all positive at this point to be able to evaluate those things. Uh, and you can't do that as well with Davis on the field. And I mean, you know, look at Denzel Perriman. He was, I find it a little hard to believe, he was the highest rated Chargers linebacker, and I believe he was the highest rated defender in the league by PFF this this week, which is mm. a little hard to believe. But he only played 17 snaps and he had a pick and three tackles. So yeah. he was better than, you know, he was rated higher and better than, than Davis in limited snaps. So all three of those guys outperformed Davis. And Davis probably played every single defensive snap or at least, you know, the vast majority of them. Right, because he went down with that knee injury that, that looked ugly for a second, but he was right back in there. Yep. So then we saw the return of uh Two starters that we've been waiting all year for, Adrian Phillips, Derwin James, made their return on Sunday. You know, both had four tackles. Derwin had a tackle for loss, which was uh, really nice to see in the run game, uh, but seemed like both were a little bit tentative, uh, not just because they didn't really make a big impact, but it kind of felt like they were getting their feet under them a little bit. Phillips got deked in the hole in the run game uh, in that second quarter, I believe, and then Derwin ran himself out of a running play as well. So it was pretty apparent that both guys were kind of just adjusting as the game was going along. Uh, I think we'll see more of an impact from those two, I'm sure, as the season goes on, which isn't going to help the tank. But, you know, kind of a quiet day for James and Phillips. But, uh, you know, as you're, you can kind of see when you're keeping your eyes on uh, Derwin and uh, 31 and 33 that they were kind of thinking a little bit and kind of just getting used to that game action. I thought um, 
I thought Phillips played pretty well. Um, he did get that. He did miss that one tackle in the hole in the run game. I think he was already out of the play by the time the running back was coming through the hole. But he had the first third down stop of the game. He had a couple of really big hits in coverage where he cut somebody down before they could turn turn the ball upfield and pick up mm-hmm. a first down. So he looked pretty good, I thought. Um, Derwin, they were running away from him most of the game, trying to keep him from having a huge impact. So he he did not have a huge tackle total. But I think just having him on the field and having that leadership is huge for the team. So, like you said, not going to help the tank, but makes them <laughs> makes the defense more fun to watch, at least. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And not to say that they play bad at all, but you know, not the impact that everybody had expected in, in this game that they thought they would take pretty easily on Sunday in Denver. Uh, let's go ahead and move on. Uh, we saw uh, Michael Davis uh, was serving his suspension. So that meant that they played Brandon Faison as the second quarter. Um, so uh, they ended up going with Faison on the outside. Yeah, I was a little surprised that they did that just because I thought they might want to try to get um, Jalen Watkins and Des King on the field at the same time, whether that was Watkins playing outside and King playing inside or vice versa. It just seems like those are their two best players at those positions in some combination. So to to take Watkins off the field and play face on out there was a little disappointing because it just seemed like they missed an opportunity there to get one of their more energetic, better defenders on the field uh, more, more frequently uh, face on didn't necessarily hurt them in that game. Uh, surprisingly, it was Casey Hayward that hurt them more than anyone in coverage. But um, you know, I think face on is kind of a weak link and somebody who could get exposed if he continues to be out there. So uh, hopefully they wrote walk, they rotate Watkins in there at that the uh, slot corner and they maybe give King a chance to play outside a little bit just to continue getting their best players on the field to see what they have in Watkins, evaluate him for next year, and you know not get burned by having Faison out there because I I still don't see what so many people see in him. Yeah, I mean early in the year he was awful, but you know as much as we bagged on him, I thought he played pretty good on Sunday. Um, he made a really good red zone tackle in the run game. Uh, wasn't a liability at all, which is a positive, obviously. So I thought he looked pretty good as a run defender. I was really surprised um, because that eight kind of looks like a zero. So I always thought it was Des King making those tackles. But there's a couple times his brand of face on. So, you know, didn't hurt the team. Uh, like you mentioned, it was Casey Hayward who was on the other side, which was surprising. But, you know, not having Jalen Watkins out there, I mean, I, I, I get you got to start evaluating guys now. And uh, having Jalen Watkins would be nice. But I, I'm sure the team wants to still evaluate Faison because they had high hopes for him going into this year. And obviously it didn't work out early on in the year. And they want to get an extended look on that second-year player. So, you know, I, I understand it from that standpoint. You know, I, I don't hate it. I, I could go either way with it. But I know that if you're going to leave Brandon Faison on, at, at, at some point he's going to start getting picked on because they didn't really throw his way that often. And he wasn't a liability because of that. But listen, if they start going after Faison, it's going to be a – a bad time because it wasn't very good start the year. Yeah. I mean, I think moving forward, it makes sense to play face on and as much as I don't necessarily want to see him out there, but I thought going into that game where you still had a very slim chance to make the playoffs and you needed to run the table, you'd want to have your best players on the field and they didn't really do that. But now at four and eight, you know, like we're talking about evaluating white, evaluating tranquil. um, I think you want to do the same thing with, uh, with face on. So, Hopefully they figure out what they have in him and maybe upgrade the position in the offseason. But you know, um, I I am for one shocked that when the Chargers needed to go all in that they did not and didn't go with their best players on the field and decided to just 
go with what they had. Uh, because I they always shocked. go with their best players, right? So why wouldn't they do it this time? <laughs> they it's always like, put their best foot forward. They had to win. They had to go win out the rest of the year. And rather than playing their best players, they're just going to go business as usual. Status quo, baby. All yep. the way. <laughs> we were 12-4 and four which, last year. Let's just yeah. keep doing the same thing. It's going to work eventually. <laughs> keep doing it. <laughs> It'll work one of these times. Um, let's talk about... Uh, Let's talk about Jerry Tillery. Uh, he had seven total do we snaps. Have to? Yeah, <laughs> I think we do because this was a pick that um, that you and I dogged on, and I think uh, we can take a little victory lap already. No, I know we can't do that. It's not even this end of his first year, but obviously his snaps are declining. I mean, seven this week. PFF has graded Tillery as the worst defensive tackle in football. He's the worst graded first round pick according to PFF. You know, we talked about how you know maybe that Perryman grade was a little shaky, so. Take this with a grain of salt, but uh, that that's obviously not good in terms of grading. But um, you know, I think I think Tillery probably needs to get some more snaps because now we're in an eval mode, and you got to see what you got in Tillery. And so far, uh, it is not looking good. So I think at some point you got to start going forward. Uh, the Brandon Meebane experiment is done. Uh, we thought it was done essentially when they picked him up a free agency. We hated that move. Mm-hmm. Uh, you and I both did. And then, you know, they signed him again, and he's got two more years. And uh, I think that experiment is done. I think, you know, and to, you know, I'd also like to add that Justin Jones' breakout season uh, has yet to come. Uh, that's been a complete flop. Uh, he had uh, a good game and a half this year. And then he got hurt. Had a flash. Got hurt. And, uh, in fact, that whole interior defensive line has been a problem all year. But, um, you know, look, uh, the, the breakout year, Justin Jones isn't working out. Uh, get Jerry Tillery as your first-round pick. Uh, you think he's pretty good. And then uh, you hear – did you hear the comment from Just, from uh, Anthony Lynn today saying that uh, – That his pressures are more important than sacks? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's bullshit. Can, can you believe that? <laughs> I mean, what does that even mean? It means – He's trying to build the confidence of a player who's not playing well. In what world is a pressure more important than a sack? It's not. It's not. I mean, I guess you could make the argument that sometimes if you don't quite make the sack, but you pressure the quarterback enough in the right way, he might throw a pick it's a bad and turn decision. the ball over. But, you know, you've got to take context into account and clarify which, which pressures are better than sacks. Yeah. And so far, I can't think of one Jerry Tillery pressure that would, would have been better than a sack. Can you? No, no, not at all. In <laughs> fact, a, a sack is what a pressure strives to be. That's what you want to do. Is be a, so you're not even there. That makes no sense. It's, a, it's bullshit, and I, and I hate pressures. I hate that whole mentality of, oh, he, at least he's getting pressure on the quarterback. Yeah, it's great when you know they're forcing him into bad throws and stuff, but if you're just in their face, I mean – you want to sack him every time, 10 out and, of 10 times. That makes no sense. And how quickly is the pressure getting there? Because most of Tillery's pressures are after like four or five seconds in the pocket where the quarterback's oh, already found his target and somebody's open and he's just getting rid of the ball. Yeah. So, yeah, like I said, context matters. In all things, context matters. And uh, no, Jerry Tillery's pressures are not better than sacks. And <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's disappointing to hear Lynn try to sell that. That's ridiculous that i mean that's that's mike mccoy ish mm-hmm. i mean that is he's starting to creep into that our best 53 and all that bullshit because none of that that is so empty his pressures he's getting a lot of pressure oh is he is he getting pressures i don't think so man and even if he is sacks are gonna be better than pressures every day i think he's had like seven pressures all season something like that a very low number and the other thing with him too is 
they're not even using him in pass rush situations. They're not using him like on obvious third down passing situations as much as they should be. They drafted him because they thought he would collapse the pocket and get after the quarterback inside. His one strength, although questionable in college, was rushing the passer. And they're not using him in pass rushing situations. He's, you know, he's getting, he's losing playing time to guys like Square and Rochelle, who would, admittedly, Rochelle is pretty good in those situations. But, mm-hmm. I mean, what did you pick the guy for? You, you don't want him on the field against the run. That's not his forte because he can't stay no. on his feet. And now you don't want him on the field to rush the passer when that was supposed to be the thing that he was bringing to the. I I just don't. I don't know anymore. Yeah, I don't. It was the athleticism. It was going to win on the inside. They were he finally was gonna going win to with get speed and yep. blow up plays and be disruptive and change plays. And I'm still waiting for it. Yeah, I mean, there's still hope. We haven't given up on him, but uh, boy, it sure looks like what we said it was. I mean, and, he, uh, he just we looks... don't pass up on I told you so. <laughs> we we do not. <laughs> no. What would be the fun in that? Um, <laughs> I mean, you know, we, we talked about the lack of counters. We talked about the pad level concerns. We talked about the frame because he's very long and lean. He's not the, you know, short, compact in, interior defensive lineman that you normally want. And... Every, he's basically lived down to all of our expectations. And granted, it's his first season, and he's still learning. And some people like to point out that you know defensive tackles never make an impact in their rookie season. Well, I'm pretty sure that's not entirely true. So obviously, how about being the worst defensive tackle in football according to PFF? I not not. I, I don't mean, think it's the worst. Not, I don't think it's the worst. I think well, it's, I think it's third or fourth worst. Of, I think it's oh. 126 out of 129. Maybe I'm giving him too much credit. You I, are. I, he's he's great as the 126th out of 126 qualifying defensive tackles. I knew it was 126, but I thought it was 126 <laughs> out of 129. No. Nope. Yeah. So ta- talking about an impact, just anything. I mean, I, I get that maybe rookies have it tough, and it's it's hard on the inside going against those big bodies in the offensive line, but um, the worst? The worst. Yeah. For a first-round player? By a lot, I'm sure. Yeah, I mean, the first round, uh, the last guy on their board with a first-round grade. The last guy with a first-round grade, and he can't get on the field yep. or make a tackle. Right. But he gets pressures. Yay. Yeah. Now, <laughs> I haven't watched the other 120, well, how many defensive tackles the Chargers have? 123 to 120 other defensive tackles, but uh, I would say that's not very good. According to PFF, I'm just saying I haven't, I don't know because I haven't watched every other defensive tackle, but I would say that Jerry Taylor, that sounds maybe about right. <laughs> he is not playing very good. He's not played very well. He spent a lot of time on the ground, on his ass, getting run over. Balance isn't good. Pad level isn't good. There's no technique. There's no, uh, no counters, nothing. So congratulations on a wonderful rookie season, Jerry Taylor. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think we'd go down this route, but here we are. <laughs> that kind of loss will do that to you, huh? <laughs> um, and so uh, one other thing I wanted to bring up uh, about that game is um, another slow start because, um, you know, the Chargers have yet to score a touchdown on their opening drive. Uh, they scored nine total points on opening drives this season. Uh, I looked it up, and they've lost every game in which they were trailing after the first quarter. So though they haven't won a lot of games this year, once they dig themselves in a hole, they can never survive it. They didn't again. This is the second time against Denver, too. Uh, they were down big 
against Denver in the first quarter last time uh, in L.A. So um, this is a team that's having not only problems when they get in the red zone and finishing games, but they're not doing good when they start the games either. So they're not starting well. They're not performing well in the middle of the game. Uh And they're not finishing well. Right, right. Sounds like Uh a winning recipe. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Follow me here. That's not good. (laughs) I ran the stats on that, and um, it says that's no bueno. (laughs) That's bad. (laughs) That's bad, okay? Yeah, that's bad. (laughs) Um, Yeah, lots of problems. And that whole game, you know, I don't know if you got the same feeling. We were talking about this on on text via text earlier today, but I felt like watching that whole game, they were just sitting back and waiting for Drew Locke to make a mistake. I was like, all right, Locke's going to throw a pick. He's going to turn it over. He's going to give us a chance to win the game. Just stay close. Just hang around and Locke will lose the game for it for, for the, for the Broncos. And they got the one, tur- the one turnover they got, they got it in the fourth quarter. They got it in prime position to, to score points and take advantage of it. And they didn't even gain a yard on the possession after the turnover. Um, you just think that a team that's back against the wall would be a little bit more desperate on offense and be taking more chances. And they just didn't. Although I did like the way they were able to run the ball down the Broncos throat in the second half. Cause that's a pretty mm-hmm. good defensive front seven. And they had a lot of success running that ball from about the middle of the second quarter through the end of the game. Uh, just didn't run it enough. Seven carries for 55 yards for Gordon and uh, not enough touches, in my opinion, for Gordon in the second half of that game with the way he was running the ball. Or when it mattered on that last drive, when it was third and one and they threw it short of the sticks to Keenan Allen. Yeah, so let's <laughs> <laughs> let's let's unpack a couple things here. <laughs> um, oh, you're, you're starting to piss me off. You're getting me upset again. <laughs> hey, man, I didn't play the game. I didn't make that throw. I didn't run it short of the sticks. So let, let's... Back it up a little bit, and let's talk about the way Anthony Lynn managed or chose not to manage the clock at the end of the first half. Now, I know they scored a touchdown prior to halftime, so people will say, hey, man, it worked. So he knew what he was doing. Um, No. So the the Broncos get the ball back with, I think, 2.30 left on the clock at at the end of the first half. The Chargers have all three timeouts. And they have done nothing offensively. They have three points. They're down 14 at this point. And there is no desperation. They go. I think they go three and out on the previous possession. And Anthony Lynn sits there and lets the Broncos run one play and run the clock all the way down to the two-minute drill. And then he goes the rest of that drive, the rest of that possession, I think without calling a timeout, if I'm not mistaken. I don't think they call a timeout on that possession. So... um I think the Chargers get the ball back with like a minute 12, something like that on the clock and three timeouts and they score quickly. So they didn't have to use their timeouts. They had a busted coverage on Mike Williams. They had a busted coverage on, on Austin Eckler on a beautiful play designed, by the way, that was probably the best play that touchdown to Eckler was probably the best play they designed maybe all season, certainly the entire game. Yeah. Um, But he basically made a decision there that, he was okay with not getting the ball back at the end of the half that he was okay with the Broncos running the clock down. It happened to work out in his favor, but let's not pretend like that was a wise decision that he was managing the clock properly. He basically told his offense, I don't believe in you. So we don't need to get the ball back at the end of the half. And that's uh, not a real good message to be sending 
your veteran quarterback of a team that you think still has a chance to make the playoffs. I mean, that's not a huge vote of confidence there, to say the least. No, it, it was the, um, hey, let's go to halftime and not make any adjustments. And, of course, they get lucky because a couple defenders collide and Mike Williams make that, makes that 52-yard catch. And then a couple plays later, Eckler makes that, that nice touchdown catch on the wheel route. But that does not mean that they manage that, that situation properly. Um, there are some real, real big concerns about Anthony Lynn's clock management and in-game decisions in that game that have been kind of festering over the last several games, but it really reared its ugly head twice, I thought, in that game. What did you think? Yeah, no, definitely. And for the last drive, uh, I was uh, pretty disappointed in the third down play call that was to Keenan Allen, which made him short of the sticks. I, I thought they should have ran the ball on third down, and I thought that was four down territory there. I thought they should have gone and tried to win the game there because that's what Anthony Lynn's been trying to do is win the game at the end of games. He's He did it all last year. Um, you know, we talked about the balls it took to go for two in Kansas City. There was a lot of games where he went for the kill and got it. And this year they've been on the ugly side of all that, of these close games. But I thought the call was, and I, I had just assumed that they were just going to run it on third down, get that first down. If you don't, it's four down territory. Let's drive it down. We're close enough to score here anyway. So to then decide that we're going to throw it short of the sticks, not a great on play third call. third and one, uh, they on threw it short one. of the sticks. Right, which makes no sense, but okay. Great play by Justin Simmons, by the way. Uh, an awesome close and click and close there on that play, but definitely should have got the first down. Didn't. So they were, what, maybe a half yard short at that point, inches. They were really close. Decide to kick the field goal and tie it rather than try to run it as the success that they've had, other than that Austin Eckler play that they tried late in that game. But um, trying to run it on third down would have made sense. If not there, why not try it on fourth down and try to go for the win? I mean, I, you got to start winning games here. And so kicking a game on the road in Denver, in the altitude, just didn't really make a ton of sense to me. And when they did it, it was you know it was fine. And Badgley made his kick, and they were tied. Uh, I wasn't very happy with it. And then, of course, the last play with the pass interference was just uh, awful. Yeah, so that whole sequence to end the to end the Chargers final drive was just frustrating. Um I believe that was the same drive where <clears throat> Gordon looked like he picked up a first down on a pass and they marked him a yard short and Anthony Lynn did not challenge it or they didn't review it in the booth at least. Um I think Gordon if I can recall correctly, I think Gordon caught a pass on the left side of the line, ran towards the first down marker turned his back and tried to back his way into a first down instead of running over a defender. And it looked like he got the first down. The announcer said, oh, first down chargers. And the ball was marked a yard short. And it was never reviewed. Anthony Lynn didn't even seem to question it. They just went right along, ran a play right away, didn't even give the booth a chance to review it. And then they throw it short of the sticks on third down, which I will never understand. That's about the softest decision a play caller can make in the NFL. Um, and when they did that, my my assumption was, oh, four down territory. I was already thinking it was four down territory, but when you throw it short of the sticks on third down, you're assuming you're going to go for it on fourth down no matter what. So I was pretty shocked that they that they brought the, well, first they went for that, we're going to go for it fake that never right. fools anybody. Nope. Wasted time, burned a timeout, um, and then they kicked the field goal. 
just a horrible sequence of events there. I agree. Look, where's the desperation, right? We've seen Anthony Lynn with his back against the wall go for it in those situations. We saw him do it in Kansas City last year, go for two and the win instead of going to overtime because he didn't like the ch- their chances of winning in overtime. Um, this is virtually the same situation. That was you know a two-point conversion from the two-yard line. This is fourth and one inside, what, the 20-yard line? So why not go for it? Give it to give it to uh, to Watt. Gordon. Give or it Watt. to Gordon. Run behind Watt. Do whatever you have to do, but pick up that first down. Keep the clock running. Try to put the ball in the end zone. Maybe take a couple shots at the end zone. Even take a shot at the end zone on third down. Run a play fake and run it. Throw it down the field instead of throwing it behind the sticks on third and one. Which I just I don't get it. So. <laughs> Are you trying to win? Are you not trying to win? Do you want to make the playoffs? Are we trying to tank? I mean, if you're trying to tank, just tell me. And yay, good job. Good job trying to tank. <laughs> but I don't think that's the case. Um, certainly and then, not. You know, they, it seemed like they were going to go for it. If recall, Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think they initially, the offense was out there to go for it. And Lynn freaked out and called a timeout and called them back. And then they sent them out for the fake. Yes. So they were going to go for it. Lynn didn't like it. He calls them back. So now everybody's like, okay, they're not going for it. Then he sends them out again to fake go for it, which, of course, didn't fool anybody. It's just a, uh, just so frustrating. Just a, yeah. a waste of time, a waste of effort when they should be lining up and running the ball down their throat with a running back who's averaging eight yards a carry in the second half. I just – I don't get it. Yeah, no, me neither. And, um, and so the last play of the game. That uh, well, the kick was the last play of the game, but that pass interference, man. Do you think it was pass interference or no? I know everybody's going back and forth on Twitter. I've got a different reaction after rewatching it. So I watched it a few times after the game. My initial reaction was, I don't think that's a call that should be made in that situation. Um, I think you could make an argument either way, which is why I think it probably should not have been pass interference. I think there's a lot going on there. First of all, Casey lets uh, Cam Sutton or not Cam Sutton, Cortland Sutton, get behind him, which in that situation is unforgivable. Um, Then he recovers and he cuts him off. So already he's obstructing his route to the ball and there's contact. So I can see initially at full speed where the official might think that's pass interference. But in my opinion, Casey was turning his head to make a play on the ball. He initiated the contact, but Sutton tried to run through him. I don't think it should have been OPI for sure. I'm kind of 50-50 on whether or not it was pass interference. I get it. I just didn't like it in that situation. And I think the real problem here is, unlike college, where that pass interference is a 15-yard penalty, in the NFL, it's a spot foul. So that's part of the problem there. If it's a 15-yard penalty, it doesn't matter. But because it's a spot foul, it's a killer, and it completely changes the game. So I didn't care for it. I can see an argument either way. I... It seemed like Casey initiated the contact, but Sutton leaned into it, in my opinion. He tried to run through Casey. So I, I just think that's one where the, the official has to sit on, his, sit on the flag, in my opinion. Watching it live, it sucks because you think, you know, why, make, why, why throw a flag there? That's too important of a time and a play to do that. But while rewatching it, there was a lot going on. And, um, you know, I think Hayward definitely initiated the contact. He jumped into Sutton. Um, but from the end zone angle, Drew Locke made a bad throw. That throw was supposed to be between the two defenders. That was the other and, thing, too. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. 
So the so the ball so Casey Hayward's got the sideline Cameron Sutton and I think it was Rayshon Jenkins running with them so they basically bracketed uh, Cameron Sutton but uh, Rayshon wasn't close enough Casey had the sideline and Drew Locke's throw was bad where it was supposed to split the two defenders but it it sailed to the sideline so way it went outside. over yeah so it went way it went over Casey Hayward's head and because Hayward jumped. He impeded the path to Cameron uh, to Sutton. I, now you got me saying Cameron Sutton <laughs> to uh, to uh, cool. Sutton's path to the ball going to the uh, going to the sideline. So, as a ref in that angle, you see Sutton's try to run towards the ball, and Hayward is then jumping into him to block his path. At that point, I understand it. He's interrupting his path to the ball. That's an awful play from Casey Hayward. He shouldn't have let him run by him. That's the only play they have. And Casey Hayward should have known it. Gus should have let him know on the sideline. Everybody knows that's what's going to happen at that play. That's just an awful play by Hayward. It cost the Chargers the game. He was on the ugly end of the other two Sutton touchdowns too. So um, he 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 had a terrible game. But um, rewatching it from the uh, end zone angle, you can kind of see that because of the bad throw, because of the angle Sutton's trying to take, and because – Hayward's running with Sutton and then turns his head and jumps into him at the last minute. It kind of all looked bad, and um, it cost him the penalty. So, to me, it was a penalty, but you don't want a ref to call that at that moment. You, you hate to see that happen. I guess my question, and I said this at the time, and I still feel it after watching it, was that a catchable ball? Did it even land in bounds? It did. Yeah, it landed because in bounds. based on where Sutton was and based on where Hayward was, I don't know that Sutton could have got to that ball. I don't Based think on he how bad got, of a throw it was. No, I don't think he could have got under it. But it was like in the vicinity and in the in uh, inside the boundary. So I guess that's the judgment. But no, I watching it because you you watch it a million times because it's the it's the play that cost him the game. But there's no way he could have ran under that and got that in time. Yeah, I I don't. I mean, I, I think that was a good like five to ten yards away from where he was on the field at the time. Even if it was in bounds, it was such a bad throw and it was so far outside that. Even if he gets through Casey and leaves his feet, like jumps for it, lays out for it, I don't even think he gets to it. No. And Casey's Casey's taken a lot of flack for the way he played in that game. I would say, you know, the first touchdown, which I believe was the diving touchdown, yeah. if I'm not mistaken, that was a hell of a catch. Oh, yeah. Uh, hell of a throw. Casey hell was of a behind catch. him, but Locke put that where only Sutton could catch it, and he caught that one armed. Uh, there were some people saying they thought the ball moved and that it shouldn't have been a touchdown. Questionable, I guess, but man, he made a hell of an acrobatic catch out of that. Yep. Um, so you got to give Sutton credit for making a play, Locke for making the throw. Casey gets beat, but he recovered and he was right there. He just couldn't get to the ball based on where it was. So that one, you know, it's hard to get too upset with him for that. The second one, I mean, Sutton's wide open. Yeah. He just gets completely lost and it looks like everybody's confused. I don't know if it was Casey or the safety, or somebody else who was supposed to drop back and pick that up, but that's just a bad look all the way around. And Sutton seemed like he was open all day. Um, every, anytime they needed a, a play from him, it seemed like he was there, and most of them were against Casey. So certainly a rough day for Casey. Uh, during a week, of course, where he's talking about being the best corner in the league and how he's <laughs> not getting any love, and then he goes out and he gets roasted by a second-year wide receiver. Yeah. So not a good look. Tough game. Very, but yeah, I, I definitely don't put that first touchdown on Casey Hayward. He was maybe a step behind him, but he dove at that ball, and I thought he might have got a fingertip on it, but um, he was close enough. I, I wouldn't put that on Hayward. That was just a great throw, great catch. But uh, the first, the second touchdown and then, of course, that, that penalty at the end were tough. But uh, that will do it 
we're done today. We appreciate you guys listening. I am at Gary on Twitter. Jamie? Lightning underscore round. And we will see you next time. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everybody.